Lord God, thank you so much for community. Thank you that we can laugh and make jokes and that we can be here tonight, be together. Thank you that we can experience you, your presence, your love through the people who surround us, through the people with us here tonight. What a privilege it is to be able to gather, to engage with each other, find out how the week has been, find out wonderful things. Thank you for Josh's story. Thank you that you have blessed him in this way through someone. And thank you that he has blessed us. In a world that often feels so crazy, so out of control, thank you that things like that remind us that you are in control. And that we are never far from your heart, your thoughts, even though you might be far from ours. Thank you for this time we have together. Lord, may my words be something that inspires, that they can take with them into the week, that we can take with us into the week, and that can help us to live ever closer to you. Because, Lord God, our desire of our heart is to live lives that make you smile. And if we can make you laugh out of your belly, then we are really happy. Be with us as we gather around your word now. In the name of Jesus Christ, the King of all kings and our Saviour. Amen. Alright guys, so... Um, for those of you who haven't been here in a while, and for those of you who are just normal um, millennials, although none of us are millennials in age, I think. I don't even think, Mishandre, are you millennial? Okay. So who are very nice millennials and forget stuff the moment they leave the room. Um, we are busy with a series about kings, the kings of Israel, because it is kingdom time. See what we did there. And we have talked quite a bit about Saul and about David. And if you've got the SMS, then you know we are moving on to Solomon tonight. Okay, but I want to start with a question and a classic. I hope this is really old, but all of you should have seen this. If you've not seen this, then there is a problem. Um, I'm very worried. I'm not going to do that. Thank you. Uh, <coughs> it's me and a bottle, baby. My question would be, I want you to think about it. If you had, I mean, it doesn't have to be this genie, but if a genie suddenly appeared and gave you three wishes, what would you wish for? Think about it. If you can't think with your eyes open, you can close them. What would you wish for? If it's not too private, can you share? What's one or two things? That me and myself and of my family members die of illness rather than just of old age. You would rather have them die of old age? Yeah, just like normal life, no yes. cancer, no... And then there's sleep one night. Sleep one night, yes. Okay. Anything else? To you? Three more genies. <laughs> Three more genies. <laughs> Outwitting the genie always. <laughs> Anything else? Well, 
to do in each circumstance um, the thing that would equals the right outcome for each situation. And it's kind of equal to wisdom what Solomon would probably to tie up to this. In the yes, yes. But it's a really good wish. Um, and that's really what you would wish for. Yeah, because if you do anything then that you put your hand to, it would turn out to be for the good. greater good and successful. So yes. if you play, if you put money on a share, the share will no, exactly escalate in value. It will have to be a success with you. Yeah. A success of luck. Yeah. yeah, that's a good... Not, not really luck, is it? But yeah. Well, there's always, a, there's always a little bit of luck. Element, yeah, yeah. Yeah, an element of luck. Just repeat what you said, please. Or exceptional yeah. luck. Exceptional luck. As he said, it yeah. kind of works out that you put your hands to. Yes. And, and your insight too, that you put your thought to. Um, I want to repeat the question. Um, what would you do if you were praying one day and God said to you, what, what do you want? What can I give you? You can have anything you want. What do you want? That, it's good. I mean, we have to go with our first instincts. So timeshare, right? Need timeshare. <laughs> time machine. But timeshare would be nice as well. Time machine, right? Yeah. A time machine, good. I think a time machine all of us would appreciate. But I'm afraid that we might be as stupid then as we were then. It's not necessarily so that we will be intelligent. Anything else I that you feel you can? To be content with whatever circumstances you're in, I think that's so difficult. Yes, very. I mean, even he, when he speaks about the thorn in his side, so even he struggled with it. He struggled with it less than we do. Yes, yeah. being able to be content. Yes, Josh? But we wishing what she wants, I think. Um, to really know myself. Mm. That's not wishy washy at all. Yeah. That's a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, I asked the question because when you think of King Solomon, what is the first, do you think of anything? And what is the first thing you think of? Wisdom. Wisdom? Why? Is that too complicated of a question? <laughs> okay, let's just ask the wisdom. Ask the Lord for wisdom, but he had wealth, wisdom, power, and influence at the end of the day. So he had everything. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of women, which was his fault at the end of the day. Let's just reiterate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so wisdom, yes. Why did you look panic now? Oh, uh, the women thing I said. Oh, really? <laughs> it might be politically correct, but it, it's interesting <laughs> to, to look at the whole scenario why it ended up that way. Yes, it is. Okay, so yes, most of you, well done. It means you have been to Sunday school at some point, and your Sunday school teachers still taught you about Solomon and wisdom. Correct. <coughs> um, I want us to go back to just to give us a little bit of a picture of where we are now when we get to Solomon. And to start from the beginning, we have to go back to Saul. Now Saul, when we think about Saul, um, what do you think of? Even after what we've talked about. When you think of Saul, what is your idea that you have? There's no wrong answer, there are just more interesting answers. Yes, Marguerite? Masculinity. Masculinity, yes, because he was very large. He was a head taller than all of the other Israelites. He was a beautiful man to behold. So when people saw him, okay, I think it 
did a little bit of harm when they had to go and fetch him from hiding behind stuff when he was chosen as king. But I mean, any 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 other context, he was people just saw him and thought, yes, this is the king. Yes, masculinity. What else? Insecurity. Insecurity. Yes. <coughs> Anything else? Yes. It was a little bit crazy. Yes. Um, with the well, we are being a little bit harsh for Saul, but yes, he was. He was. He was unstable. Um, let's do. Let's say it a nice way. He was a little bit unstable. Yes, politically correct. He was unstable. Why was he unstable? He remember he was the first king. This was just after the people asked Samuel, "Please, can we have a king?" Samuel told them, "God says it's not a good idea because you're going to be." Serves servants to the king, you're going to be in war, lots of things are going to happen. Why can't you just be happy with me as your God? I've led you through Egypt. I mean, I've had a column of fire and smoke. It's not like I was not present. When you did not have stuff to eat, I gave you things to eat every day. And yet, they say it's not enough. So, Saul is chosen. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. And he's the first king. And initially, it goes well. He, um, because what, is, what does God say? He says, if you will follow my commands and you will be obedient to me, I will bless you. Okay? And initially he does do that. But I spent one teaching talking to you guys about how, in spite of the fact that he was blessed, and when he did things he had to do, he was blessed, he still felt insecure and he still didn't listen. Which is a very human thing to do, let's be honest. So God would say, when you attack these people, don't do A, B, and C. What did he do? A, B, and C. And in the end, after I think about two or three times, God said, okay, that means you are no longer my king. I'm going to choose another. And it's not going to be from the tribe of Benjamin. He is going to be from the tribe of Judah. And this is where David comes in. Um, and classically, so classically, of course, um, David is anointed, but he's not made king yet. Saul is still king. It was a good 15 years from David's anointing to Saul finally impaling himself on his own sword in battle. <laughs> Which um, Nick talked about once. He took about a long time. Now we know how long it was. 15 years is a really long time. To wait. I mean, he was anointed by, David, by by Samuel. David was anointed, and yet he was not king. And he had to go and serve the king, who started getting more and more paranoid. The Bible talks about the fact that the Spirit of God left him. Remember, the Spirit of God was upon special people in the Old Testament, so called people. It wasn't upon everybody. The Spirit of God left him, and the Bible describes this, that a demon came and haunted him. And we spoke about it last time. I taught that there are still people, certain believers, who think of mental illness, all mental illness, as demons or something that you've been cursed. So they don't think you can be chronically depressed just because your brain doesn't work 100%. So it's not that crazy to think that David described it as a demon. And this is where David comes into the picture with Saul. Uh, classic picture, David um, was brought in because he played the liar. 
and, he, and playing the lie calmed Saul down. So how ironic is it? He is, he's been anointed as the next king, yet he has to go and play for the king, who is still king officially, while knowing that he is actually a king, and he has to calm him down when he gets really paranoid and has outbursts. And he becomes well loved. What happens other than he plays the liar? What's he also good at? Slingshot. Yes, slingshots. Especially slingshot with giants. So he uses one rock, he slings that rock into the guy's head, and he is dead. Goliath is dead. So David is becoming ever more popular. This does not help Saul, who's paranoid already. And that's why we get a picture like this, because we hear of, in, in the story of Saul, which is in 1 Samuel, we hear of at least twice that as David is playing the liar, Saul thinks, it might be a good idea to just get rid of this guy before he becomes too popular. And when he actually once takes a spear and throws it, so, which is a wonderful situation to be in if you're David, so it happens that David then has to flee. And a lot of those years, those 15 years that he spent waiting, he is fleeing. He, so it's a very complicated relationship. As we find with politics, it mostly is. Um, when he's still popular, Saul, Saul gives him one of his daughters to marry, as you do. And then when he decides, I want to kill you, he takes away the daughter. And then later, when they have a moment, he gives him again a daughter, another daughter, which I think yeah, he keeps. So this is Saul. He was, a, he was everything that a king should be, but he was disobedient. And he suffered a lot before he died, and he died a very dishonorable death, having to kill himself. Then David is crowned, not before Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons, other sons, Decides that, okay, I am the rightful heir. And there is a little bit of conflict, but David in the end is crowned. David is king. And when we think of David as king, most of us, when we think of the kings of Israel, we think of David, right? Mm. Yes. Because he is the guy. Do I really have to show everything? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So he's the one who has the liar, he's the musician, he's the one that's what Nick did last week. He read one of the Psalms, because that, most of the Psalms are, are attributed to David. He's the musician, he's the poet, he's the um, wonderful king, and that's what we know of David. Um, I particularly like this. He reigned for 40 years. He was about... He was about 15 when he, well, we can't say exactly, but around 13 to 15 when he was anointed. So he was about 30 when he was, when he became king. So he was a good 17 when he was um, nearing the end of his kingdom. And yes, there are wonderful things that he did. A beautiful thing that he did was another brother Mephibosheth, um, Ishbosheth's brother, Mephibosheth, he was also a son of Saul, 
Um, and remember, most of the time when a new king came into power, what did you do? You killed all of the old king's family, just to make sure that nobody could come out of the woodwork. Um, as David was anointed king, the maid who was taking care of Mephibosheth, because he was a young baby, ran away with him, but in the, in the running he fell. She accidentally let him fall and he had crippled legs from there on. And you guys know in those days, if you were crippled, it was not good. But a beautiful thing that David does is he later, a little bit, well, he has to, when the king and the settled, he asks people, oh, are there any people, are there any family of souls still living? And they tell him about Mephibosheth. And he asks them to bring him to his court. And from there on, he takes care of Mephibosheth. He sits with him every day, dines with him. So that's one of the beautiful things that he does. He wants to build a temple, but God says, no, you have to establish the realm. He is very loyal, but there are things that he doesn't do right. Um, what's the one thing you probably remember about David, which is, which is not right? Only if it's somebody else's wife. Yes, yes. Bathsheba. Um, that's the one, and I think the song that you guys read last week was after Nathan came and spoke to him. Because most of the kings at this age, all of the kings, always had a prophet who was at the same time as they were, and who kind of just helped them. They were a the small voice, coming to say, listen. So right after Nathan had to speak to him, he wrote a song. But so that's one of the things he did wrong. He was... Remember when he became king, he got all of Saul's wives. Saul didn't have a lot of wives, luckily, but so he got all of them. And as you did in those days, when you conquered somewhere new and you wanted to make an alliance with them, what would you do? You would get a daughter and you'd marry the daughter. So he had quite a few wives, quite a few sons from different people. But yet, one day, as you were sitting in his palace that had a good look over rooftops, he saw Bathsheba bathing. And it wasn't like she was trying to get his attention. There was just so many places that she could bathe. So she was on a roof and bathing because that was the private space because nobody else had double stories. And he saw her and he desired her and he had her brought to him. And in essence, well, okay, he didn't rape her, but um, he charmed her, and then she got pregnant. And he first tried to get Uriah, her husband, to leave her. I can't remember what he did, but he did try to get him to leave her, and he didn't want to. Oh, no, he tried to hide the pregnancy that it was him by getting Uriah back from the battlefield where he was, and saying, well, come stay over with your wife. And Uriah, the idiot, was like, no, 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 I, my men are out in the field. They can't be with their wives, so I'm going to be here. I'm going to sleep with the God here. And David was like, damn it. And then David was like, okay, next day, I'm going to throw a big party. I'm going to get him drunk on wine. And then he's not going to be this honorable guy. He's going to go home, which he doesn't do. So David says, okay, next plan, I'm going to have him killed on the battlefield. So please, generals, when he gets back, where you know the fighting is very earnest, 
put him in front, and then just kind of walk away slowly, so that when he realizes he's alone and then he's dead. And then he takes Bathsheba, which is the biggest thing that he does, um, and that Nathan the prophet comes to him about, confronts him about it. Another thing that he does, which in the end leads to a little bit of a fight, a big fight, is that one of his elder sons, Amnon, desires his half-sister, Tamar, and he decides he's going to take her. He rapes her. It's not a charming, he rapes her. She goes to her brother Absalom, who goes to David and says, listen, this is what your son did. And David says, oh, well, I mean, just keep her with you. Which obviously did not go down well with Absalom. And later in David's life, he kills, the guy, he kills David's son, who raped her, and he launches a rebellion. He wants to become king. This is just before David's reign ends. So they do get to overthrow Absalom. He, I don't know if you guys remember, he's the guy who in battle has got beautiful long locks. And when he's riding into battle, his hair gets caught up in a tree. And he hangs from the tree, still alive, when David sees him and then kills him. Someone else, someone else killed him. Absalom for David, was it was one of his? Yes, sorry, yes, yeah, no, David didn't kill him himself. He didn't want to, to get killed. Yes, yes, good. So, but he was hanging from a tree and somebody else killed him, and then David was very really sad. Um, David was very emotional. So, in a sense, you could probably say he was also a little bit unstable, but uh, never mind. What was the difference between David and Saul? The difference was how they handled things when the prophet had to come and tell them that they were wrong. When Samuel came to Saul, every time Samuel came to Saul, what would Saul do? He would be defensive. He would say, no, no, but that's not what I did. Or no, but that's not what God said. Or if that didn't work, he would say, no, no, but it was those guys over there. They did it. And I was too afraid to say anything. What would David do? The moment that, um, especially with Bathsheba, the moment, because they didn't come to him and told him a story, and David reacted very vehemently. He was like, this guy, the bad guy in the story, must be killed uh, because he stole somebody's property. Good one, Nathan. And then Nathan says, but that guy is you, David. And David is shocked at himself. He's horrified. And he immediately confesses it before God. And that is the difference between Saul and David. Did, Saul, did David sin less? No, I think he had more trust in God. Um, his relationship with God was stronger because if I just think back to when he was going to kill Goliath, all of the Israelites were trembling and he would just say, but why are you trembling? Because we've got God on our side. That's a wonderful thing for a 15-year-old to say. So yes, his faith was stronger, but also the process was different. Every time he was wrong, he would confess it before God. And that is why he is still the king that people refer to. When, when you talk to Jewish people and they talk about the Messiah, they dream, even when, in Jesus' time, of course, they would talk about somebody would come who would be a king like David. They still dream that dream. Because he was a man after God's own heart. And ironically, so he's the superstar. 
when actually the, the kingdom of Israel was at its most successful and at its biggest when Solomon was king. So it's ironic that he's the one we remember, he's the one that they long for, when Solomon was actually the biggest king. He also reigned for about 40 years, so they reigned the same amount of time. What happens when Solomon becomes king? David becomes old, as happens to all of us, uh, even millennials. Bad news, sorry. He was old, he was tired, he wasn't into this king thing anymore, and one of his other sons, Abhiyan, says, oh, opportunity beckons. And he gets some of David's generals together and some of the priests, and he says, let's do a coup. So let's get everybody together who's willing to do it. Let's do a big feast and we offer things and we make me king. Right? Nathan is not one of the people who's included in this little shindig. He hears about it and he says, but wait, David said Solomon was going to be king because who's Solomon's mother? Yes, Bathsheba. So he continues in the tradition of men in Israel being, if you think about Jacob, the father of Israel, he loved his sons from, not from Leah, from Rebekah more than he loved. So yes, they loved their sons more. He loved Solomon more because he was the son of Bathsheba. And he had promised him the, king, the kingdom. So Nathan goes to Bathsheba and says, go and whisper, David loves you, obviously. Go and whisper into his ear, but listen, I'm hearing that Alimiae is going to be king, but I thought you said, this is a typical role that a woman has to fulfill, I thought you said that it was going to be Solomon. And then while you're doing that, I'm going to knock on the door, randomly, going to appear, and I, Nathan, am going to be, David, but I, I thought you said Solomon was going to be king. So they do this, it works. David says, I didn't say I was going to be king, I said Solomon. And he arranges everything. Solomon is taken, they bring offerings. He's brought back on David's donkey into the city. Yay, Solomon is king. Like any good king, his father has words, uh, his last words to him. And most of those last words, now we have traveled from 1 and 2 Samuel, we're in 1 Kings. His last words to him are, be obedient to God. And then he also has a little list, a hit list. Please make sure that you kill these guys, A, B, because they hurt me at this stage. But remember C, because he did well, he did nice things to me, so reward him. But then there's also guy D, who was not great, so please have him killed as well. Typical of, it sounds like a mafia boss, but I think in those days, those things were kind of interchangeable. Kings were mafia bosses as well. So Solomon starts his reign with a list of things that he needs to do, which he, um, kudos to him, he does promptly. In chapter, in chapter 2 he gets the commands, oh sorry, last bit of chapter 1, and in chapter 2 he does it, all of it. And then he is praying. And this is where we get to the important bit about Solomon. Um, one of the many depictions of Solomon, what do you see a lot of? Gold. Because he was really, really rich. 
the rich people, like rich kids in Beverly Hills, rich housewives, rich, all of those people have no money when you think about the amount of gold mentioned in 1 Kings with Solomon. But if you have to look at the moments that really defined his kingdom, his life, and also why we don't talk about him like we talk about David, then we have to go to 1 Kings 3. I'm going to read for us from the Good News Bible. Solomon made an alliance with the king of Egypt by marrying his daughter, as you do. He brought her to live in David's city until he had finished building his palace, the temple, and the wall around Jerusalem. A temple had not yet been built for the Lord, and so the people were still offering sacrifices at many different altars. Solomon loved the Lord and followed the instructions of his father David, the ones before Kill A, B, C, and D. But he also slaughtered animals and offered them as sacrifices on various altars, so he's covering his bases or his altars. On one occasion, he went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices because that was where the most famous altar was. He had, offered, he had offered hundreds of burnt offerings there in the past. That night, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and asked him, What would you like me to give you? All of us would love this question. Solomon answered, You always showed great love for my father David, your servant, and he was good, loyal, and honest in his relation with you. And you have continued to show him your great and constant love by giving him a son, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, who today rules in his place. O Lord God, you have let me succeed my father as king, even though I am very young and don't know how to rule. Here I am among the people you have chosen to be your own, a people who are so many that they cannot be counted. Do you hear the promise that God made to Abraham coming true? So give me the wisdom I need to rule your people with justice and to know the difference between good and evil. Otherwise, how would I ever be able to rule this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so he said to him, Because you have asked for the wisdom to rule justly, instead of long life for yourself or riches or the death of your enemies, I will do what you have asked. I will give you more wisdom and understanding than anyone has ever had before or will ever have again. I will also give you what you have not asked for. All your life you will have wealth and honor, more than that of any other king. And if you obey me and keep my laws and commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Wonderful moment of insight that a young man has where, I don't know, if given the same question in his situation, I would have made that choice. But he makes a choice. He says, I would rather have wisdom. And he is granted wisdom. And in the following chapters, this is chapter 3, chapter 4, we hear about his, um, his, all of his generals. All of the people are loyal to him. They love him. They follow him. We hear about all of his conquests and how successful he is, he wins everything. We hear how he is the one who God says, you can build a temple for me. And all of the amazing riches that go into the temple, it takes him 20 years to build the temple. But it's built. While he's building a temple, he's also building the palace, which is just as amazing as the temple. 
And when the temple is finished, he goes to the temple and prays. And he prays for God's presence to be at the temple, to protect the people, to protect the city, to be their God. That's in chapter 8, he asks this. And in chapter 9, God answers him again and says, I will be your people's God. I will protect you. I will be present in the temple as long as you obey me and love me and be in a relationship with me. If you do not do that, you will be left alone. You will be left over to other gods. Well, you will leave yourself over to other gods. And what this beautiful, majestic temple and palace that you've built are going to become ruins and people are going to laugh at the Israelites and say, wow, they thought they were important, but they aren't. And unfortunately, and this is perhaps why we don't speak about Solomon that often, is we hear of, well, Solomon says, thank you very much, God. God resides in the temple. We hear about how unbelievably rich he is, how unbelievably wise he is. We hear that he's so wise that people come from all over the world to him to ask him questions. He's like that, the Sphinx with the riddles, but except he gives you the answers. So we hear one of the stories that happens is the Queen of Sheba comes to him because she wants to trick him. She wants to see whether he really is this amazing and then trick him if he is. And he is this amazing and he can't be tricked. And so she gives him lots of, as if he hasn't got enough stuff, she gives him more stuff. But he also gives her gifts. He is way up there in the stratosphere. Israel is big. If you, if you listen to how they describe it, it's from the river that um, separates it from Egypt right into the Euphrates River. So it's where Babylon and those places were later. It was big, it was successful, it was peaceful, the people could farm, the people could, they were happy. The people who built the temple weren't Israelites. He used slave labor, all of those Canaanite peoples who they had to make war with, had to use them as slaves. Yes, so the Israelites were comfortably farming while these people were building the temple and the palace. Everything was grand, it was amazing. And then, what happens? Exactly what you said with the wives. Because, as David did, Solomon had a lot of wives. But, Solomon had more wives than David did. He had... Yes. He had around 6,800 wives. That's what they're saying. Because remember, every state that you have a treaty with, you get a wife. That's also why they had harems and why they had a schedule where of visitation. But he had so many wives. And what happens? Where, I mean, this is what, six, no, that's eight chapters, almost eight. When God asks him, what can I give you? He asks for wisdom. But when we get to chapter 11, the wisdom he has asked for is forgotten. Because what does he do? I'm going to read to you. Let me just quickly get to it. Solomon loved, interesting word choice, many foreign women. 
Besides the daughter of the king of Egypt, he married Hittite women and women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, and Sidon. He married them even though the Lord had commanded the Israelites not to intermarry with these people because, not because they were foreigners, but because they would cause the Israelites to give their loyalties to other gods. They would bring other cultures into the home and other religions into the home. Solomon, we were a hundred out, Solomon married 700 princesses and also had 300 concubines. Yes, so it's actually a thousand. Yes, but with a wife you were, you were a hundred out because he only had 700, not 800. They made him turn away from God and by the time he was old, they had led him into the worship of foreign gods. He was not faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. He worshipped Astarte, the goddess of Sidon, Molech, the god of Ammon, the disgusting god of Ammon. So that what Molech wasn't the most pleasant of gods. He sinned against the Lord and was not true to him, as his father David had been. On the mountain east of Jerusalem, he played, built a place to worship Chemosh, the god of Moab, and a place to worship Molech. He also built places of worship where all his foreign wives could burn incense and offer sacrifices to their own God. Even though the Lord, the God of Israel, had appeared to Solomon twice and had commanded him not to worship foreign gods, Solomon did not obey the Lord, but turned away from him. So the Lord was angry with Solomon and said to him, Because you have deliberately broken your covenant with me and disobeyed my commands, I promise that I will take the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your officials. Not even one of your sons, one of your officials. And indeed, the guy who follows after Solomon, he still reigns for a while, but the guy who follows after Solomon is not one of the family of the, of the line of King David. And just, I think, three years into his um, Jeroboam, um, Yerubiam, all those up for the Afrikaans guys, Jeroboam, five years into his reign, the kingdom splits into the north and the south. So we literally, the kingdom as we, as David dreamed of it, as Solomon had it, this big kingdom, actually died after Solomon. And it was never ever like that again. Why is it important that we think about this? What does it mean for us today? That wisdom is not something you can ask for only once. Even though it was a beautiful way to ask for it. I mean, it was a wonderful... God came down and asked him, what do you want? And he said, wisdom. You can't then think, okay, it's done and finished. Because the same guy who had the wisdom that people from all over came forgot that and gave himself over to every idea out there because every God was a different idea and it stopped being faithful to God. We, if we want to live lives that are, that continue to be lives that are pleasing to God, our desire for wisdom is something that we need 
to ask for every day. So that we do not, because Solomon was, I think it was about 30, 30 years into his kingship before he lost the plot so completely. We can never ever rest on our laurels and think we've made it. The moment we think we've made it is when we are most susceptible. May we, all of us, from Solomon's life, learn that we can never take wisdom for granted. And may all of us in this week, every day, it's a good habit to start, pray that we keep on receiving wisdom. May that be our one wish. Because if Solomon had kept on doing that, remember David was not the only one in the family who was a poet. Solomon also, he wrote most of the Proverbs. He wrote the Song of Songs, Wachlit. Um, Wait, 15 before that. I'm sorry, yeah. I just had to say the Vis history. Yes, well, Song of, yeah, song of Songs, yes. Yeah. If you wonder which one of those is his beloved, probably every day a different one. Yeah. Um, but how ironic is it? This is Proverbs 1, verse 7. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. How sad is it that the same man who wrote this stopped remembering that this is what it's all about. And unfortunately, ended up where he ended up. As I told you that the last time I spoke, we talked about the fact that history repeats itself if we don't remember it, and every time it's worse. This is exactly that. So maybe not be like Solomon and forget what, we, what God has taught us. Maybe each remind, may all of us remind each other of what God has taught us, so that we can have a collective wisdom as well. And may we forever prosper in wisdom first. I'm going to pray. Lord God, It is sad to think that someone so great, someone so renowned for doing the right thing, forgot so quickly. And what makes it even sadder is that we forget so quickly as well, especially when things are going well. We might not be like King Solomon, surrounded by wealth and people, but when we experience success and joy, it is more difficult to remember where it comes from. Allow us to learn from Solomon's life. Help us to keep the proverb close to our hearts, to always begin with you. I want to pray for each one of us that in the week ahead we begin each day with the thought, the prayer, 
Lord, help us be wise. Not because we are so smart or so wonderful, but because you are in us. You guide us through your spirit. And also, Lord, that every time you make a decision that is the right one, that we thank you for it. Because you are the one that deserves all the credit. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your spirit. The one gift all of us needed and no one knew to ask for. Because with your spirit in us comes wisdom. If we allow ourselves to listen to you. I want to ask you to quiet, to quiet our souls, our minds this week, so that when you speak, when the still small voice is there, that we do not miss it, that we hear you, Lord God. Thank you for life. Thank you that we can move into a new week. Whatever it may contain, be with everyone here, so that when we see each other next week, we can witness about experiencing you. Thank you for the example of the King of all Kings, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the redemption he gave us. In his name we pray this. Amen. Thanks guys.